This Saturday morning, a short break from my immune health series on Gesundheit with Jacobus. Doctors Hilary Lampers and Bronwyn Bacon will be back this time to discuss dementia and Alzheimer's disease. How much do we know and really understand about it? It's becoming so prevalent these years and the treatments are dubious. So this program could be very important. To Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is uh, December 8th. Thank you very much for tuning in today. The topic will be Alzheimer's. Doctors Lampers and Bronwyn Bacon are in the studio. And uh, we will get to them in just a moment. Uh, as always, uh, Gesundheit means health or good health. And that is what we're discussing every Saturday morning right here from 8 to 11. want to let you know, as we are talking about Alzheimer's today, the purpose of the show is really to give you some different insights, give you some hints, suggestions. We're not here to diagnose or treat or cure. We like to share information and education research that's out there what do we know so far what is on the horizon what are some of the possibilities so please visit these two doctors after the show at their own office at their own practice i'll give you all that information in just a moment and find the best information you can get for your own health but today's show is going to show you what you can possibly do in your own life to improve the quality of your life and your longevity and in that longevity, indeed, to, to live the best way you can. So there are many practical tips that come your way. But all first of all, you need to have a basic understanding about what the problem of the disease is. So see a physician of your choice, visit the guests in the studio, look up things on the internet, look at videos, look at or listen to audio, find a book, magazine, articles, whatever you can find, just become the best educated person you can be for yourself. So thanks again for listening today. I uh, really appreciate it. All of you tuning in. Drs. Bronwyn Bacon and Hilary Lampers are both naturopathic physicians who studied at and graduated from Bastia University in Seattle. Both doctors practice at Elevate Health, which is a clinic located at 802 West Main Street in Bozeman. Their therapies range from family health to hormone balancing from neurocranial restructuring or NCR to perineural injection therapy and from cognitive decline support to regenerative platelet-rich plasma injection therapy. It, their number is uh, the number to get a hold of them is a telephone number 406-219-3631-219-3631 and there is also the website Elevate Health MT Montana Elevate Health MT dot com, and they're as I mentioned they're on it's eight oh one I said eight oh two didn't I say eight oh two, right across the street then probably no eight oh one West Main Street Suite One C. 
Good morning to both of you. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Uh, two months ago, we talked about aging, healthy aging. Mm-hmm. At the end of the show, we said uh, this went really well. I really enjoyed it. was nice to have you back, Hillary. Thanks. Uh, moving back to Bozeman. Yeah. I should say three forks now, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. The Gallatin Valley. <laughs> and uh, we talked about cognitive health. And then this morning I talked to Dr. Bacon and she said, you know, it's been something that's been your interest for a while and helping people in your practice. And then when the two of you started working together, this became kind of, you know, we got we to gotta pay attention to this and see what we can do. Yeah. Some time ago I had some patients come in that were having cognitive decline and I felt like... I needed more information to really treat them and then discovered Dr. Bredneson and his book and his work and was really inspired to have some tools that are very naturopathic, though he's an MD. Yeah. And um, and I started implementing them and had some really amazing success. So it's been really um, exciting to see. And so then I started putting a lot of work into catching dementia and cognitive decline before it was happening or before it was really full-blown to try to really reverse that in people so that they weren't in the place that some of these other people were where it was a lot more severe. And that has also seemed to be very, you know, it's a little more difficult to measure the, um, you know, prevention. (laughs) Yeah. Because just it's not happening. Or maybe, you know, they're not forgetting their keys as much or little things are improving. Yeah. Um, But it feels like a really important part of medicine because so many people um, will develop dementia as they age and it's such a difficult and agonizing reality when people have been had really good cognitive function and then suddenly can't take care of themselves because yeah. of that decline yeah and it's hard on their families too so now I was going to say that there's, there's so much more involved <clears throat> number one I think there is a there is a fear. The more you talk about it, the more people realize that there is this fear of will I get it or not. Right. Which is something we'll talk about today, what you can do to prevent it. And even if you have it, what you can do to either heal from it or even reverse it, completely reverse it. Right. But there is also the effect that it has on the supporting family who often have to become the caretakers right. of the, uh, the pers- person suffering from dementia, which is not only uh, very hard physically, uh, but also emotionally, it's very, very draining, and it is expensive because many people will have to quit their job to take full-time care. They make, they save more money taking care of their own kin right. than it is for them to have their own job and then pay for their services. Mm-hmm. And so for many people, that is the first choice. Let me try to do it by myself. Right. Very difficult. Yeah, extremely difficult. Yeah, I, there's. I think the statistics show there's, 30 to 45 million people that are suffering with some sort of dementia and a large in this country. Yes. And there's a large portion of that is Alzheimer's um, diagnosis. Uh, But, you know, today I think it's really important to, um, you know, I think it'd be good for us to just also let people know that you don't necessarily have to get Alzheimer's disease to be having, you know, cognitive issues and memory issues um, and I think we have this, I, I guess it's probably a good belief that as we get older, we just, this starts to happen to us, right? We start to lose our memories. We start to forget where our keys are once in a while. Um, and I might agree with that. I mean, age and just, you know, uh, the effects on our body as we age, these are kind of natural things. 
but the prevalence now of dementia and the growing um, prevalence of Alzheimer's disease should be alarming to everybody. Um, and I think that the biggest thing about about it is the fear. Um, you talk about the caretakers. Yeah. If you've ever taken care of somebody with Alzheimer's, your fear of developing Alzheimer's, especially if you're related to that person, I think exponentially grows. And um, just the stress of taking care of somebody um, in that state and then the emotional um, impact that it has on you can um, be a big also deterrent to a lot of people uh, maybe not necessarily wanting to know information that I think, and I think Dr. Bacon would agree, is that the information and knowing a lot of things um, about your physiology and maybe about your genetics and about your environment that you're living in and um, learning that information could actually be helpful for you and could possibly prevent um, what you've experienced with your loved one. I see. Um, but it's important to start earlier than later yes uh and i mean i'm in my 40s and so you know like 60 isn't that far away 70 isn't that far away but when you're in your 20s this may not be something that you're absolutely thinking about but when it comes to brain health and cognitive health uh, we should really be implementing this in our children and in our young people and helping them to take care of their brains and realize that as you get older you know your body will age and um, you know, you may not be able to do the same things that you could do at 20, but, you know, having good cognitive function and the ability to communicate and just um, feel good and take care of yourself. Yes. Those are going to be the bigger problems as you age. Well, yes. and so much of this starts young. Um, yeah. We allow our children to play sports where they concuss themselves over and over again. And we think that is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we also don't really take concussions very seriously. But there's a cascade of chemicals that are released at, you know, post traumatic brain injury oh, or concussion that lasts for quite a long time. And if you don't actually rest and recover the brain, um, that can become a really long term problem. And we see that a lot with, you know, the, the classic example of that is um, American football players and um, the, the serious dementia we see in a lot of them in their 40s and 50s. Um, we're allowing our children to do things that, set them up for some similar, you know, they're not doing the same thing as a, as a professional football player, but when they're out there, even just playing peewee football, they're getting concussed mm-hmm. and we're treating it like it's just nothing. Yes. And same with soccer. And so I think there's. Don't attack soccer. That's a good, <laughs> hey, a I, great, I love soccer. <laughs> it's a great sport. Well, no, but I know if you, if you watch, if you see a goalie, <clears throat> kick out a ball with his hands or her hands and that ball flies 50, 60 yards. And then you see somebody had the ball yes. mm-hmm. and you watch that in slow motion, how the ball is almost 33% dented in. Yep. And if you play soccer, you know how hard these balls are. Yep. So the impact that that leather has on the brain in con- connection with the skull Right, yeah, it must be tremendous. It it is, and um, you know, your brain actually shakes in your head because it's 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 in a solid. My container. brain shakes even without <laughs> Harry. There's a lot of shaking going on. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it comes down to education and understanding the, the the implications of this. And it's not something we've really understood until more recently. So it's not that people are just allowing their kids to play because they don't care. It's just that it's newer. It's a newer thing we're understanding because there is something different than actual bruising or bleeding of the brain with these chemicals that we're only recently being able to test. And I don't even think that commercially you can test. I think it's still, I don't know, do you know, Dr. Lampers, if you can test for these? It's something that they've been in development and it can be tested for these these chemicals that are released from the oh, brain, but it has not been available. It's not like you can come to see me and I can go run that testing. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think, Obviously, a lot of changes have come through these sports organizations. I think CTE was probably the big um, nail in the coffin for a lot of these when they started discovering that these men were not actually having... So, If you take an MRI and volumetric studies of the brain, you may not see change early on. You typically will see that later on um, with cognitive decline, as we'll talk about later. MRI MRI can be one to diagnose actually the volume of your brain. Okay. But CTE is on a histological level. So they weren't actually seeing any MR, anything on MRI that right. would alert them to the problem. But when, um, I forget the physician's name who did it, the Will Smith movie. That's yeah. the guy who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Will Smith did not discover this, folks. It was the, the <laughs> oh, doctor who did. But he did care um, a lot about it. And yes. he made that movie, which was a big deal. And, you know, he discovered that histologically, when you slice up, the deceased person's brain, you are seeing histologically histological changes that were leading to these types of um, brain changes, which included anger, aggression, emo- uh, hyperactive emotional states, pain, yes. um, and uh, depressions, anxieties, mm-hmm. and suicidal um, yes. tendencies. Yes. And a lot of these guys were told they were just literally like, it, it, it was they were making it up and they weren't so i think i think the advent of cte uh, the the discovery of that and now how many of our even most respected sports um people who suffered with that disease for decades of their lives after they finished football and was pushed under the rug is that it goes to show you that head trauma and a lot of these guys, they were sustaining head trauma. I mean, they were probably playing peewee football, yes. right? And they yes. were sustaining head traumas. and Multiple and, times a day, every time they were playing. Yes. yes. And so I think that we've made a lot of strides in trying to change that. But when you take a sport like soccer um, or American football, there's no way you're not going to hit your head. I mean, even in American football, they're wearing helmets, and they've changed a lot of the, the structure of the helmet, and they've done a lot they've taught these guys like you actually get fined money if you you do a headshot or whatever but you know that's part of the game and these guys are like modern day gladiators and they abuse their bodies and they abuse their brains for that momentary fame and you know what they spent their whole life working towards um i would say in this conversation if we want to talk about you know progression for the for the rest of us who um you know are maybe gonna live longer without those cognitive and actual physiological um, ramifications of chronic head trauma um, is that it actually, I think, has more influence on how much head trauma you have younger um, younger in your life because okay. the brain's capacity to heal when you're young is probably better than when you're older. But if you're taking continuous hits, um, you're having these neurochemicals being 
consistently as well as inflammatory um reg and inflammatory processes happening consistently yes and um the young brain as we know is is much more um flexible it is flexible but in a way too you're kind of setting these guys up and i think that's where the the talk of genetics comes in because oh, I see. um there was a guy from, there was a football player from the Cleveland, who's the Cleveland Browns. Browns, and he was a young guy in his early 20s. He was the star of the team. He was, um, he was a, his, his wife was trying to get away. He was a, a chronic abuser. And she, Was it Johnny, Johnny Menzel? No. It was not. He's still around playing football. Oh, I thought, I thought but it was But this, this guy was, was a young ago. guy and he fell out of a truck, so he was, chasing his ex-wife and he jumped into the back of her truck and she drove off and he fell out and broke his neck oh and they did an autopsy of his brain Mm. and they found plaques reminiscent of alzheimer's like plaques amyloid plaques in the frontal lobe of the brain which and in the emotional centers of the brain which is actually rare because we see more parietal damage with alzheimer's as people age and um, you know, the frontal lobe carries a lot of our emotional capacities. So how we react to things and how emotionally set we are. And they found in this young man's brain that he had the plaques of like an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient So in areas of the brain huh. that control emotional behavior. And this is a young 20-year-old something guy. So I do not know if that, if he had genetic predisposition like the APOE4 or two copies of the APO4. Um, But when you start to see this, you know, this is where it's really important in the children to, I think it's, again, information to know. Um, If I knew that about my son and he had the genetic propensity, would I let him go play football? And no, I wouldn't because this could be, possibly the ramifications of what could happen. Yeah. And anytime I see any professional athlete who takes repeated head traumas doing anything irrational, like beating their wife up or <laughs> abuse or chronic addictions, yes. especially to pain medications or alcohol, they, they've got brain trauma. Mm. I mean, it's, it's kind of like common sense. Yes, They have brain trauma, and unfortunately, a lot of them cannot control their behaviors because your brain controls you. <laughs> and if you are experiencing brain trauma, you sometimes are not going to make the, the wisest decisions. And this is the work of Dr. Daniel Amen. Yes. And I've, re- mm-hmm. I've studied with him and that's where I've learned a lot about the brain and, and, and he's done huge studies on um, ex NFL players. And there's actually been football players retire young guys that are like, Whoa, I don't want to put my brain in that position mm-hmm. or they, have agreed to donate their brain to medicine yeah. um, when they die. So I think that the brain is so amazing, but head trauma, as Dr. Bacon said, um, that's one thing you can prevent. Well, yeah, and I think also just knowing that it's important when you do have head trauma to take it seriously. Exactly. I think I can't believe how many times I ask every patient that I see, have you had any injuries? And the answer is almost always no, unless they've broken a bone. And then I say, what about head bonks or concussions? or ever be-? And almost everybody will then say, oh, yeah, well, I got knocked unconscious once, but it's no big deal. I'm fine. Right. Yeah, of course. And it's because not really... we all want to be positive thinkers. Of course. Like, it, oh, yeah. 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 And well, and it's just not like now they don't, they don't see how that has impacted them, so they feel like they're fine. And they may be fine, but 
when those things happen, handling it really seriously, you know, just allowing yourself to have time to heal from that is really critical. Mm. In Montana, I noticed it's oh, horses, gosh. horse people, rodeo, um, oh, ranchers, oh, yeah. farmers. Yeah. I mean, there's like, oh yeah, hasn't everybody fallen off a horse? Hasn't everybody got kicked by a yeah. cow? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. no. So yeah. again, you know, looking at the population you're working with. Well, we're going to take a short break. Okay. Thank you both for being here. It's very interesting first half hour. I appreciate all of you tuning in. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. If we're going to take a break, we'll be right back with Drs. Bacon and Lampos. We have a caller on hold who would like to ask us a question. Good morning, caller. Thank you for joining the program today. What's your name? How can we help you, please? This is Clint. Hey, Clint, good morning to you. My brother has, he's 82, and he's in perfect health physically. He has Alzheimer's. Now, he can remember anything that we did when we were kids, anything, and up to about 1999 or 2000. He can remember all that, but I can talk to him, and five minutes later, uh, he don't know what I said. Now, that's terrible, but I'm going to tell you what I think causes all this. Uh, Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah, we were ready since 8 o'clock, Clint. Okay. Now, you were talking about the football players in a a stadium, right? Yeah. How many cell phones do you suppose are going off in that stadium as well as the the phones or the receivers in the helmets of them football players? That's, uh, That's interesting, yes. Okay. And then the cell towers, right? Yes. And the next thing is the food that you eat, the preservatives and the various different things that are put in the food that you eat nowadays, which was never there before. Is that partially causing Alzheimer's? The radio waves and television waves that go through the air? That ain't counting the military, whatever the military does in their, in their waves or the sheriff's departments of various different counties. All these waves of, of, of mag- I guess you would call them magnetic waves, that are yeah. through the air. Do you suppose that yeah. that has any relationship to Alzheimer's? Well, I would say uh, we don't really know. And, and honestly, you're right, we are bombarded every day now with a lot of um, electro electromagnetic um, frequencies that... That's right. You know, our predecessors were not. Uh, we are also exposed to a lot of uh, uh, light, like light bulbs and, you know, messing up our circadian rhythm and um, appliances and cars and yep. all things that have electrical, um, they electrically affect us and our, our electrical things. So, yeah, it's, I would say that we can't discount that. Yeah. Um, And I I will say that probably there are some people that their blood-brain barriers are maybe not that healthy, and so they are probably more predispositioned to being affected by that. Um, And I would guess that, honestly, nowadays a lot of people have blood-brain barrier compromise just based on the chronic conditions that we do see and the, the plethora of gut conditions that we see because we know that the gut and the brain talk together. Um, talk to each other so I would say that I don't I don't discount it at all I mean I think a big piece of it is um, being is exposures and you know we'll probably talk about that when we talk about um, the different types 
subtypes of Alzheimer's, but uh, exposures are definitely a piece of that. So, What do you think about the, the foods that we eat and the things that we drink? Well, they have an effect, and I, oh, yeah. I, it's one of the one of the topics that we'll definitely uh, tap into yeah. because there is a connection between Alzheimer's and uh, possible insulin resistance, as well as uh, the uh, you know diabetes. They they call it diabetes one and a half. Uh, some doctors do. Some say it is diabetes three. I don't know. Well, I think an important thing that relates to what you're saying is that Alzheimer's and dementia, which Alzheimer's is a type of dementia is multifactorial. It's caused by many different things. Sometimes it's caused by inflammation. Sometimes it's caused by high blood sugar. Sometimes it's caused by toxins, traumas, vascular issues. There's lots of things that cause it. And often it's more than one thing that's that's bringing someone to that place of having the cognitive decline that we're talking about. So yes, all the things you bring up are really important factors. And often it's many of those things that have led someone to have cognitive decline in conjunction with predispositions to where their body is more likely to have those declines. If anyone's yeah. got... I hope people um, wake up and start talking about this stuff. Yeah. Okay. yeah. We yeah. Agree. I, well, I think there's a lot of people talking about it, but you know, there's a lot of red tape too, you know? There is a, there are a lot of people who literally are never being told what the different options are or what the potential causes are, and so they never change their lifestyle or diet or exercise routine, or brain games, they literally are being told that they can take a medication and they have to get ready to get their papers in order and make sure that they live a, as, as comfy as possible last uh, decade of their life or so. Um, so there are different approaches in Western medicine as well. I think that uh, there are a lot of doctors, and we'll talk about it, Clint, who have come around, uh, medical doctors, I mean, I think this might be a good segue into the actual, you know, medications that we're giving the Alzheimer's, you know, basically what are people's options if they get diagnosed with cognitive decline or Alzheimer's? Like, mm-hmm. what is the option? And and honestly, there's like two options, yes. Aricept and uh, memenidine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one blocks uh, the, the enzyme uh, that, that makes acetylcholine, which yes. is the neurotransmitter that's mainly affected in Alzheimer's disease, and the other one blocks glutamate receptors, which decreases excitability and destruction as well. And that's it. Mm. And the amount of money that has gone into Alzheimer's research is astronomical. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about a chronic disease that has basically billions of dollars put into it for research, because mainly they're going after how do we get rid of plaques, they're going after one aspect of what we now know and through research like Dr. Bredesen's work is that it is multifaceted. He's found there's like 36 different things that you have to be doing um, and keeping in line, basically. It's not one thing. And mm-hmm. so taking one drug to block one thing, they, they're basically getting nowhere. Um, and the unfortunate part, and that's what's so scary about this, and I, I think Clint is right that people need to wake up. When you're talking about a population that is actually declining and having children, yeah, living longer, mm-hmm. and going to be dealing with, I mean, with, I think the scary statistics are a third of our population will be dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia-like conditions, mm-hmm. you know, 
um, and how closely related that is to your cardiovascular health, to diabetes, and to all these chronic diseases that we see, like, it should be alarming to people um, that this is going to be the state and that there is nothing out there in the conventional medical model that can help except Mm -hmm. drugs that don't even, it's not a cure. Those drugs are not cures. They they slow the progression. They do absolutely nothing. So well, they bil- don't work for everybody. No, in billions of dollars, there's nothing for Alzheimer's. And that is what people should be waking up to, is that if you think you're going to start getting dementia or cognitive decline when you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s, um, and that you can just take a medication, yeah. you're very sadly mistaken. It's there's Unless in the next 20 to 30 years, you know, they're talking about vaccines, um, that could prevent Alzheimer's. They're, I mean, obviously they're putting lots of money into research to try to find medications. But I think what's the most exciting about this, though, and I, I guess I'm going down dooms, the doomsday road there, but now it's like, let's go down the yellow brick road here, is that, you know, naturopathic medicine, we've been talking about these 30-some different markers forever. We've been talking about prevention. We've been talking about ways to know if somebody's inflamed, to know if somebody's toxic, to know if somebody is having insulin dysregulation and nipping those things in the bud. And um, that's what's so exciting now about what's coming out is that we are actually naturopathic medicine and the things that we have been talking about now for many, many decades is starting to come to the forefront of research. And they're starting to say your diet matters, what you know, what your environment is like matters, um, as, as your exercise le- level, like all these things, your sleep, yeah. so important for preventing this very feared disease that actually Dr. Bredesen says there does not need to be Alzheimer's disease, that there is no need for this, no, and that right. we are creating this by thinking that we're going to find a drug to cure it. When yes. actually we can actually prevent it and in some cases reverse it. Reverse it, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like there's so much positivity right now. But um, yeah, as far as in the in the conventional world, there's just really not much for you. Well, so One thing that I think goes along with what you're saying that I really liked in Dr. Bredneson's book is he talks about how if you imagined your brain is like a roof and there was a giant hailstorm and there was tons of holes put into the roof if you only patch three holes, rain will still get in with all the 30 other holes that you have yes. in, in the roof. Yes. But if you actually look for all the different ways that you need to patch the roof, you can actually repair the roof. And, and that's exactly what Alzheimer's is. It's not just one thing. It's not one magic bullet that's going to fix it all. It's addressing what are you eating? How are you exercising? What toxins have you been exposed to? What's in your system? what dysregulations are there, what inflammation markers are elevated. And if you are actually patching all the holes, then we can see true healing and also true prevention. And unfortunately, conventional medicine really likes things to be in a very small box and it likes there to be one solution for one thing. And that's how a lot of our research is set up, which is what limits us so much sometimes in these situations where we're like, well, there's no cure for Alzheimer's because we can't find the one thing. Well, that's because there's 30 things or, you know, however many. That's a great point. And if you read Dr. Bredesen's book, he talks about how routinely he was turned down for research projects he wanted to do um, and not getting the funding because he was looking at such a broad spectrum. 
Yeah. And research needs to be very um, pinpointed. And so yes. he was actually turned down multiple times on different studies. And that's where, I mean, that's where the, the complication comes in is that if you're going off purely studies, um, <laughs> it's very, the, the focus is very, you know, the therapeutic window is very small. Right. Right. And, and so, um, you know, as naturopaths, we, we feel like there's so much, what, what his research has finally um, validated what we've actually been offering to people. We maybe just couldn't put our finger on it and be like, oh, here's the research. Yes. But now, now we actually can. And mm-hmm. because he's an MD or he's a researcher and he's shown this in the conventional world, which he got a ton of pushback, um, is, is now we can actually say, yes, this stuff actually works. If yes. you do it, right? Yes. And to just to address Clint's question initially, like, why does his you know brother have this and he's in perfect physical condition? Is it all the cell towers and this and that and diet? Um, yeah, but, you know, just a personal story is I watched my great-grandmother die of Alzheimer's and I watched my grandfather die of Alzheimer's. And my great-grandmother lived in a time she died in the 80s. Yes. And she was older, late onset. She was... You know, she didn't live during the time of cell phones. She didn't live during the time of computers. Um, but she did live through the Great Depression. And she raised four children during the Great Depression. And um, I'm imagining she lived and under a, and the right, war, right. two wars. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm imagining that she lived with an, a massive amount of stress. Yeah. And um, her diet was maybe... I know my grandpa and her lived on a tree farm and whatever, but mm. my my dad said they owned a soda shop and he remembers going to their soda shop. She was a waitress and eating ice cream at the soda shop. And, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't know her that well. I was 12 when she died. So was diet a big impact for her? Was stress a big impact for her? Was a hormone depletion? She had four children and, you know, went through menopause and was and did she have, you know, I know at this point she definitely had probably genetic risk. And then my grandfather, who was her son and her daughter, both had Alzheimer's. They lived in the 50s. They raised their families during the time, the post-war era, where they were experimenting on everybody with vaccinations, Teflon, plastic, yeah. um, Betty Crocker, food in a box, preservatives, make your life easier, be a good housewife, um, you know, uh, they lived in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, on the same street for 50 years. And my grandmother died of Parkinson's. Huh. And five people on her block died of Parkinson's. I'll be darned. So what environmental exposures were they exposed to in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s when they were coming out with all these great things to make our lives easier? Right? So, yes. yeah, they still didn't have cell phones. They still didn't have computers. I mean... But there's going to be different factors based on the environment you live with, the stresses you live under, the diet that you're influenced with. So Alzheimer's maybe 200 years ago was unheard of because people probably weren't exposed to chemicals like we are now, you know, infections. And we know the genetic risk of APOE4 actually protects you from infection. Right. Yeah. It's actually protective. So a lot of people with APOE4 probably survived infections. They survived the things that were killing other people. Mm-hmm but it's not great for longevity. And so 
I just wanted to share that. So I, I think there's lots of factors, but if you go back, you can probably look at lots of different exposures. A really good point. I think it is uh, very, very interesting what you're bringing up. The, and Dr. Bacon, too, about the comparison with when you have 26 holes in your roof. You can patch one, but it still there's a bunch of them that are not treated. Mm-hmm. And that's a very good example that I that I heard him say in an interview. And we need to explain some things here and, and also your comparison with, yeah, that was not no cell phones, no computer, different environment, but different effects. You know, is it trauma? Is it grief? Is it sadness that that that, that emotionally affects people so much that the brain it's almost shutting down. It wants to forget. It wants to it's almost you don't want to remember some things. So is there selective memory loss that eventually turns into Alzheimer's? Who knows? Well, those biochemicals that Dr. Bacon talked about in the beginning, those are secreted during intense emotional things as well. I mean, our brain is, our body is infinitely wise and it does things to clean stuff out and it does things to try to protect us. And unfortunately, it's not always like great stuff. It causes inflammation it pushes out a bunch of free radicals and, can cause damage and that's actually the process of aging yes. and that's why right. we don't all look like we did when we were 15 right yes. now you know yeah. i mean that's kind of aging in general but yeah well we have a very very interesting doctors uh, bronwyn bacon and uh, dr hillary lampos naturopathic physician at elevate health right here on bozeman who are talking about alzheimer's and brain damage and tbis and uh what may be the possible causes they have brought up a few terms that we haven't really explained yet. <laughs> uh, one is Dr. Dale Bredesen, uh, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N-S. Dr. Bredesen um, and Dr. Dale Bredesen, he wrote a book called The End of Alzheimer's. And we'll talk more about that. But when they mentioned Dr. Bredesen, that's what they were talking about. And also the APOE4 has to do with genetics. And so we'll talk about that also as we can. Uh, so thank you so much for listening, folks, but all of you. I was going to say both of you. <laughs> Hopefully there's more than two. No, there's more than two. Uh, We've t- had at least three people call in, so we know that there's That's at right. least yes. three. So Wait, anyway, Doctors Lambos and Bacon are on the show. We'll be right back. You know, it seems like this is a great time to kind of talk about like, well, what do you do about all this? Or how do you figure out if you're at increased risk or if you're having cognitive decline, why it's happening? So something that both Dr. Lampers and I do um, at Elevate Health is we do something called a cognoscopy, which is basically where we evaluate your cognition and different elements that can be affecting that. Um, We've mentioned APOE, which is a genetic test that we can do that looks to see for, it's not the only genetic that genetics that's associated with Alzheimer's, but it is the most significant one that we know of to date. And so we can look to see if you have any genetic propensity to develop um, Alzheimer's, which a lot of people are kind of scared to know. But the truth is, is if we know it, we can do so much to prevent. And so it's actually a really good thing to know. And I encourage all of my patients to get tested for it. And it's become much more readily available. And then we look at inflammatory markers, blood sugar markers, vitamin and nutrient markers, Um, all kinds of things that we can then assess. And we do have um, some specific testing that we do that helps us see what your risks are and how we can specifically reduce your risks, often through diet and lifestyle. Um, We do use nutrients and vitamins and different supplements to also help with that. But 
a lot of it is through diet and lifestyle. So it's very simple, yet yeah. can be somewhat complicated to implement just because of how chaotic the world is and how difficult it can sometimes be to have those good, um, healthy behaviors of eating lots of vegetables, drinking clean water, getting good sleep, getting good exercise, all those main pillars of health is a lot of what we work to implement. And then other things, because some people are going to be, you know, I'll have people that, that are starting to show signs of diabetes or pre-diabetes and they don't eat much sugar. Yeah. And they're like, what? I don't even eat sugar. I don't like sweets. But then they're eating a lot of carbohydrates that are getting turned into sugars. Or, um, you know, they just have a system that's more set up to where even a small amount of carbohydrates is a problem for them. And they're different than maybe their partner who can eat lots of them and never have any sort of issue. Or they're starting to have decline in testosterone, which greatly affects our blood sugars and vice versa. Or, you know, there's hormonal changes that are happening or all kinds of things that can be happening. So we dig in and look for those elements to see what we can specifically support that person in. Right. What is the uh, the fascination with uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen? What, what is it about him that you would like to talk about him? Because uh, you mentioned it in your agenda points. Uh, he wrote the book, The End of Alzheimer's. There is something about him, prevent and reverse cognitive decline. Um, there is something about him that you both feel he is onto something. What is that? Well, you know, for me, I was really feeling like, okay, I look at all these different elements in someone's health and I know that they help their cognition, but I'm not exactly sure what are the most important things for cognition. That's what was happening many years ago for me. And um, I got on the internet <laughs> and I had been searching cognitive decline, Alzheimer's. I've been doing all these things. And, you know, with that, you then get targeted with certain advertisements. And I got targeted with one of his classes. One ah. of his webinars just came up on my Facebook feed. Yes. Um, one of the times that the things that are really obnoxious actually work out in your <laughs> favor. And so I watched this hour long, I mean, really it was a marketing video that he had for physicians to try to get them to do his classes. And I was just hanging on every word. It was so what I was looking for in connecting the dots to the things I already knew and to things I wasn't sure how to implement and things I didn't know. And I went out that day. Um, his book had just been published. I couldn't even get it in um, anything but hard copy. And I read the entire book for cover to cover and was just like, this is naturopathic medicine. This yes. is These are things I'm already doing, but yes. it's bringing it together in a way that was really um, very accessible. And I can recommend that book to patients. I can recommend a lot of the pieces from that book for people. And it just really, for me, was a turning point in knowing how to approach cognitive decline even better than I felt like I already was doing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the book is a great reference. And so him having written that book, I think the, I think the most exciting piece about it is exactly what Dr. Bacon said, is that we have been doing this, you know, our entire education was based around these parameters um, and, and how we work with patients. You know, we just... We definitely work differently. We are looking for the cause, not covering up the symptom. And and uh, I think that we we refer to Dr. Bredesen a lot because he's basically taken what he's shown in research. And he will say that initially before, um, he was a researcher and he was researching on mice. So he was not really? a clinician. Mm. Um, and he will say that when he started doing this, they were they were researching reaching uh, researching these certain ligands and different um things for plaques with mice and when he was first um 
I think it's patient zero who's in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody asked him if he would work with this patient. And he was like, I'm not a clinician. I'm a researcher. But he started working with humans in just implementing these things. And he actually reversed the cognitive decline in this patient zero. And he was like, whoa, this, this is actually, this, this works in humans. And so I think that we just refer to him a lot because he's created a, a reference manual mm -hmm. for patients. So, you know, you can go buy that book. And, and out of that book, um, there's been support groups created like the APOE4 group. There's now over 800 people in that group. And a lot of them are following the protocol of this book um, and supporting each other in that. And I think we just refer to that a lot because it's currently the most, it's the most current research that we have mm -hmm. stating the, those 30 some factors that we know that we can test with patients and we can work with them. And I just want to say, you don't have to be having symptoms to get this done. He actually, um, it wasn't him who actually initially came up with the cognoscopy. It was one of his mentors. Mm -hmm. um, and I forget his name right now. He's another doctor. He said everybody should have these baseline tests done at the age of 45. I see. That if you know your baselines and you have these, this group of tests done called the cognoscopy, um, and there's some like MRI, MRI volumetric imaging. Like if you're not having cognitive decline, you, you may not need to do that. But if you're starting to have cognitive decline, you're probably going to want to add those in. So obviously some of the tests are more expensive, but most of them are not that expensive. Like, I mean, if you look at the bigger picture, so at 45, getting your baseline done. And if we go right back to the very beginning of this radio show where you, we talked about the fear and the caretakers and the people watching this process happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like if you've witnessed this in your life and you believe you have any genetic predisposition, even if you haven't been tested, why not learn your baseline? Why not have these things done and, and learn how to prevent this? And like he says, you don't have to have this. This is not like a death sentence that you have to think you, you're, your your children are not going to have to deal with right mm -hmm. so i think that that's a great thing to do and and why not try to improve your quality of life and um not just the quantity but you know the quality of your life and knowing these things and getting these things done and a lot of them are just routine tests that we can do with blood tests you know so with this uh, uh, it's it's called a cognoscopy like colonoscopy but then <laughs> right, cognoscopy yeah. and this is a test that is, is it a questionnaire test? Is it a blood test? What, what is exactly, how does it it's work? It's multifaceted. So okay. there is a small piece of it is cognition, but most of it is actually trace um, blood. So we take blood or serum, mm -hmm. um, trace elements. There's, there's a whole list of it. Um, and if you get the book, it's all outlined in the book. So you okay. can actually take that to your doctor and be like, I want to have these tests done. Now, there's some more complicated tests that we would have to do nutrient evaluations, um, toxins. So that's a that's a big one. And if we talk about the subset, you know, one of the bigger subsets that is not necessarily related to genetics, it's actually more, it's it's more prevalent in APO3, which is, um, would say like most people that have an APO3 or, or, or heterozygous for that or homozygous are not going to maybe get the genetic link to Alzheimer's, but yeah. the toxic affects more of these people so and it's earlier onset um what is apoe so there's or APOE yeah so there's there's a genetic or genetic there's a gene called apoe there's three different types 
There's ApoE2, ApoE3, ApoE4. Okay. And every time we te- test a gene, we're, you get a copy from mom and a copy from dad. So you have two copies of every gene that you have. Yeah. And um, so if someone, so you could have 2, 2, 3, 3, 4, 4, or any combination there's of no one. two, three. There's no, no there's one? no one. There's no. just two, three, and four. Okay. No idea why there's no one. But um, so you could have a copy of two, a copy of three. You know, you can have any combination of those three numbers. The most common is three, three. Okay. The majority of the population has two copies of the three, and that's a 9% chance of developing Alzheimer's. What Dr. Uh, Lampers was just talking about is the toxic form, which does increase your risk and is more has to do with being exposed to different toxins, and that is more common in people that have two copies of the three, ApoE3. So you can see that's a large percent of the population is going to be predispositioned to that. So what's the percentage? It, you have an increase. So the 3-3 three, three three, three has a 9% chance of developing Alzheimer's at some point in their life. And I do believe there's different percentages as you age. Like someone who's 40 has a different percentage chance of developing Alzheimer's than someone who's 80. But the, the general predisposition is a 9% chance. Okay. If you have one copy of E4, so ApoE4, ApoE3, so you have a, a copy of 3 and a copy of 4, you have a 30% chance of developing Alzheimer's. Wow. And if you have two copies of four, you have an 80 to 90% chance of developing Alzheimer's. And there's only about, there's about 9 million people walking around in the U.S. with a 4-4. There's and, about 25 million people with a 3-4 or a 2-4. And so, obviously, that's not a large percent of the population, but it's a large number of people. You bet. But when you talk about right. most people are 3-3, three, three, and if you're having toxic exposure or in, exposure to infection, chronic infection, which is super common now, like Lyme disease and yes. um, co-infections, yeah. and um, that can play into the toxic and the earlier onset of, yeah. of Alzheimer's. So um, you don't always have to have this high genetic risk to get right. Alzheimer's because there's That's plenty true. of people that are a four, three, or a four, four, and they they don't get Alzheimer's. Right. Um, but your risk definitely goes up if your lifestyle and you're having head traumas and blah blah blah. But the toxic one is very unique, and it's actually a little bit scarier because if we you were to get the cognoscopy done, we'd want to be running and making sure you don't have any chronic infection, or if we know that you have a viral or spirochete infection stuff, you know, you're going to need to work with that if you haven't already. And and that can be difficult, right? And a lot of us walk around with chronic infections. I mean, HPV, herpes yes. viruses, yes. EBV, CMV, these are all really common. Um, but how are you, how is your immune system doing? So talking about your whole immune health um, yes. series, yes. Um, uh, infection and exposure to, to, to virus, uh, viral infections and et cetera is a big deal. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, the genetic makeup in this case is really huge. How you how that would line you up to potentially develop Alzheimer's or dementia. Definitely, definitely. Wow. And I do want to throw in there that uh, ApoE2 is actually protective mm-hmm. and uh, reduces so the risk. you have a, a, P, ApoE2 in a combination, mm-hmm your chances are lower. Well, I want to say yes, but I have had a lot of trouble finding 
clear information on if you have a copy of two and four together. Okay. And I'm not clear. I have found information that says that reduces your risk. And then I found information that says it increases your risk. And I do not know what is, I don't know that we know the answer to that question. But if you have a two, three or a two, two, you have a a very large reduction in risk of developing Alzheimer's. And I would say that I don't know the answer yet to the two, four. Um, the other thing is that if you have a copy of four, one or two copies, you do not respond as well to diet and lifestyle changes for reduction in cholesterol. So if you have elevated cholesterol yeah. and you eat a perfect diet, you yes. may still have high LDL and low HDL yeah. despite your dietary changes. And actually, those people respond much better to medication and supplements to influence their mm-hmm. cholesterol changes. And so if someone has a copy or two copies of four, I know we're going to need to do fish oils, niacin, um, yeah, things uh, like that, red yeast rice, all those types of things to actually shift their cholesterol. If there's something we're working on in cholesterol, they're not going to respond as well to diet and lifestyle. And two also wow. influences cholesterol, you have but I'm not. Yeah, in APOE4, like you should not drink alcohol. You cannot, so APO, APOE is a lipoprotein that carries carries fats basically out, let's say in this case, out of your brain. Um, And the APOE4, genetically, historically, everybody on the planet had an APOE4 or two copies of APO4. Who does? Well, genetically, in the beginning of time, APOE4 (laughs) was the only allele. It was the only one. And so this was, uh, what's interesting is if you do have an AP, um, if you have an O4 or you have a 4, you may be... Um, less prone to infection, and you may actually be able to fight off things faster because initially this allele helped with infection and all this. So you can imagine, like millenniums ago, people were worried about infection, and you know, so this was actually protective mm-hmm. in the short term. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, you can't basically detoxify the brain of these lipoproteins that you need to, and you build like a barrier in your brain. And it's just slower. It's like you have a front line, right? And they're not letting things through. Um, and so you get this buildup, and that's part of the reason they believe that it helps to potentiate the um, the plaques in the brain. Yeah. Okay, so the APO2, over time, we developed, then we started developing a three, then we developed a two, yeah. and we found that those can clear, help to clear the brain faster. And so now, because people are living to be 90 or 100, where that was maybe not very common, yes. um, is that we're now dealing with longevity issues. So APOE4, by nature, causes more inflammation because you need inflammation mm-hmm. for your immune system to activate to fight infection. I'll be darned. So actually, APO4 is protective, and it's an immune, it's an immune response. Yes. But when you're talking about the brain, it can actually... It creates that immune response and it can cause more of an inflammatory reaction. Yes. So when she's talking about like fish oil, if someone has a four, you got to give them specific fish oil. Like they need a triglyceride bound. They they need to be able to get that in and out of the brain efficiently. So and alcohol is is like you can't detoxify alcohol the same way either. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are very specific to that, which is why we love to know if somebody has that, because we can really help determine their lifestyle and help them with that. Wow. That is amazing. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing what it your body is doing right now? <laughs> it's unreal. Your body's really doing is. all that right now. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs>
I got to I got to get me that book. You should get it's you should carry that book. book in your store. I should carry it in the store. Yeah. Go after it. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to take a short break. Uh, Doctors Bronwyn Bacon and Lampers are staying with us all the way. We're halfway done. So please uh, folks, we will be right back. Oh, by the way, good morning to both of you. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> I just go on and I just get you involved. But uh, no, I really appreciate this uh, very good information. Very This last half hour, this uh, APOE4 uh, uh, beast is really uh, very interesting to listen to. And so you are. did you both know about this or was this something that Dr. Bradison, Dale Bradison in his book, The End of Alzheimer's, uh, discussed was this something that has already been around for a while i would say it was a combination for me there was a lot of things i already knew about sure um and then reading his book kind of connected a lot of the dots um that's kind of where i was at i knew some about apoe i knew um a lot about i already ran most of the tests on people that were in his cognoscopy um i would say that some of it i didn't realize the significance in specifically in Alzheimer's, but yes. um, a lot of that I was already doing in patients. Uh, well, I had a lot of family history of neurodegenerative yes. disease, so I started early on doing a lot of research, and that's kind of my area of interest for many years. And then, I, like I said, I, I did some training with Dr. Amen's um, organization. Yeah, and they, yes. um, And because I work a lot with head trauma in general patients, and so APOE4 was kind of on my radar as far as head trauma. We talked about that, and that's the other reason why head trauma is Especially if you have a, a four or two of them, you you do not want to be getting head trauma that predisposes yeah. you. So that's where I had done a lot of my research. But then, you know, reading this book, it just kind of put the pieces together. Yes. It also, I think for me, um, because of family history, it really uh, took a lot of the fear out for me because it, it, it was like, okay, you know, you know, you have this thing or your patient has this, uh, these, this allele or two of them. Um, are the things you can do and these are the preventative things you can do which i think uh it was kind of nice to see that that uh, there's a lot of hope there and uh, dissipating a lot of the fear so yeah um but yeah he just kind of put it into a package and that better that better explained it i have a uh, clip uh, of an interview that i was watching this morning in preparation for the show and it is him uh dr dale bradison about his book, The End of Alzheimer's, Prevent and Reverse Cognitive Decline. He is talking to a couple journalists in Australia, <laughs> but uh, it is a Skype interview. But there was a few things that he said that I thought would be very interesting for people to listen to. And I thought maybe we can play this, if Sounds you don't great. mind. And yeah. uh, then we, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, six, seven minutes. Let's see how the sound quality is when we play it over the loudspeakers or over the radio. Uh, but this is Dr. Dale Bradison, and one of the interviewers, and I think his name is Stuart, is asking him a question, and that's where we start uh, with that. So let me uh, let me get that all lined up. Go ahead. So degenerative perspective. So f- for our audience as well that might not be familiar with that term, so we're talking about um, diseases of the brain, for instance, um, Alzheimer's, uh, Lewy bodies, and a number of other associated um, conditions as well. I'm very intrigued to hear uh, your perspective on on the causes uh, of the onset of these diseases. 
Yeah, you know, that's a great question because there ha these are diseases that really have not been well understood. People will spend their whole careers on one theory. You know, it's all about reactive oxygen species or it's all about a, you know, soap-like effect of amyloid or it's all mm. about metal binding. Yeah. Um, there's, so there's work on this going on all over the world. What, what we found in Alzheimer's, and we don't yet know about these other ones, um, but we're suspicious. We're, we're looking into these. But what we found in many, many years of Alzheimer's studies, and yeah, you know, if you think about 28 years, we've been pretty slow. It's taken us a long time <laughs> to get there. Uh, we yeah. didn't actually, you know, speed to the finish line here. It's taken a long time. But what we found was really striking and very different than the dogma about these diseases. What we found is that Alzheimer's disease, what we call Alzheimer's, which is, as you know, basically, you know, based on the pathology, that there are yes. plaques and tangles, there's amyloid there, and there's phospho-tau. What we found is that this is actually a protective response, not a destructive response. It's a protective response against three fundamentally different types of insults. Now, no question, part of it is you do have this downsizing of your neural network, but fundamentally, this is your brain reacting against different insults and if you there, therefore look at the insults and so we, you know you can actually see subtypes of the illness yeah. you can actually see what to do about it wow so so, so i just sorry guy i just i wondered right. if you could expand a little on those insults because i'd love to know what they you know what the most common insults are absolutely so what happens is if you look at the molecular basis what actually happens in alzheimer's disease there's really a, it's a really a beautiful picture so at the heart of this as you know people have looked at the quote amyloid and the tau for many many years hmm. the the molecule that gives rise to the amyloid which is called amyloid precursor protein you know reasonably enough so app yeah. is a fascinating receptor in neurons and other cells that literally acts like a molecular switch. So if you take this molecule and you cleave it at three different sites, of course you get four pieces, four fragments, four peptides, and these things are all mediators of synaptic retraction, neurite retraction, loss of synapses, the very things that you see in Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you can take the same parent molecule you can cut it at a different site, a single site, and you get two things, two fragments or peptides, which are called SAPP-alpha and alpha-CTF, that actually support just the opposite, the making of synapses, the growing of neurites. So you have this beautiful switch, and by the way, this is no different than what you see with oncogenes. You know, when you are you going to get cancer or not? Oncogenes, tumor suppressor genes, or if you're going to get osteoporosis, as you know, there's osteoblastic activity making bone, and yeah. there's osteoclastic activity that is reorganizing the bone. And as you get older, there can be an imbalance, so you have too much osteoclastic activity. Too yeah. little osteoblastic activity, what do you get? Osteoporosis. We right. found the exact same thing occurs in Alzheimer's disease. You have a whole set of signals that are synaptoblastic, making synapses, and a whole set of signals that are synaptoclastic, pulling up. And as you get older, and again, with specific genetics, it's more, and with specific uh, food that you eat, if you're sleeping or not, how much stress you're under, what's your vitamin D level, how much inflammation is going on dozens and dozens and dozens of these things that determine 
whether you are on the synaptoblastic side or the synaptoclastic side. Every study with Alzheimer's is on the synaptoclastic side. So what are the go, going back to your question, what are the major things here? Number one, anything that causes chronic inflammation, and that can be pathogens, spirochetes, bacteria, fungi, chronic viruses, things like herpes, things that have been associated with Alzheimer's. It's just been unclear why. Yeah. Or eating too much trans fat, eating too many, uh, too much uh, carbohydrate. These are things that all cause the activation of inflammatory pathways, and you can actually trace beautifully a direct pathway. For example, if you activate NF kappa B, which is part of the inflammatory cascade, then in mm -hmm. fact you turn on the very genes that cleave your APP at the site to give you the four synaptoclastic peptides. So you can literally trace a direct pathway to Alzheimer's disease from inflammation. So we call that type 1 Alzheimer's disease, which yeah. is an inflammatory type. And by the way, the Ayurvedic physicians of thousands of years ago recognized um, what they called pitta, a hot uh, type of dementia. Of course, they didn't call it Alzheimer's disease thousands of years ago, but they <laughs> yeah. recognized a form of dementia that was associated with inflammation. Now, the second type, we call this type 2, you get the same effect on ATP if you take away all of the trophic support. So think about it. You have a quadrillion, almost a quadrillion synapses in your brain. And these things require you to feed them with what? Nerve growth factor, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. I'm sure you guys yes. talk about this yes. stuff all the time. And yeah. what else? Estradiol, progesterone, pregnenolone, thyroid, testosterone, vitamin D. These are all critical supporters of this network. Now, if you remove that support from this network, what happens? The network downsizes. This is no different than you know your CFO saying, you guys can't hire any more people into the company because we don't have enough to support it. That's exactly yes. what happens with this disease. So that is type 2, or what we call cold, atrophic uh, Alzheimer's disease. And by the way, there's a very common type that has features of 1 and 2, which we call glycotoxic or sweet. Um, and this is from people who have chronically high glucose and insulin levels and it's the one people that have insulin resistance and the reason that they have this is the glucose itself of course as you know will glycate your proteins it's why you have hemoglobin a1c that's high which yeah. causes the inflammation so that's type one but they also cause insulin resistance so you don't respond as well to insulin of course insulin is a critical trophic support for your brain cells so you get a combination of type 1 and type 2, which is why we call it type 1.5, or glycotoxic or sweet Alzheimer's. And then there's a type 3, which is very different. This is where you are now making the amyloid as a protection, not against inflammation or you know, not trying to kill the bugs. And by the way, <laughs> you know, the amyloid itself is antimicrobial, which is why you have this type 1. It's trying to kill the bacteria or the fungi or what have you. And that's beautiful work out of Harvard from Robert Moyer um, and Rudy Tanzi that, that showed this beautiful work. So that's you know, type 1, type 1.5, type 2. Now, you also make this because it binds metals. And actually, this was shown most beautifully um, by an Australian researcher. Uh, 
Dr. Ashley Bush, who's spent his career looking at metal binding and related events um, with A-beta and showed that, in fact, it's a beautiful binder of things like copper. So it tends to bind divalent metals like mercury. So you can get this same phenomenon. But by the way, you also make amyloid to bind uh, mycotoxins, biotoxins. So, for example, yeah. if you're exposed to toxins that are produced by mold, yes. you will also have the production of this. Then there is type 4 and type 5. Type 4 is a vascular type, and type 5 is a traumatic type. But the bottom line is these three major insults, inflammation, loss of trophic support, and exposure to toxins, all cause your brain to go on the synaptoclastic side to produce this amyloid. So you are literally protecting yourself. In so doing, you are downsizing. I tend to think of this as, you know, imagine that you've got um, a, a mobile uh, electrified fence. Imagine that, uh, you know, the, the bad guys breach your border. So yeah. what you're doing is you've got this fence. You're literally laying down this amyloid and saying, okay, I'm going to back up a little bit, but don't come any farther than this. So right. that you are literally downsizing to save the overall neural network. All right. Well, I think that gave you a little bit of an, uh, a flavor. This is, was an interview with Dr. Dale Bredesen uh, on an Australian podcast. And um, he was talking about some of the causes of Alzheimer's. And Dr. Dale Bredesen wrote a book that is called uh, The End of Alzheimer's. Very interesting. So did it come out? This was an interview from September 2017. So when did the book come out? Was it 2017? Yeah, 2017. Came mm -hmm. out, okay, so last year. There's uh, so many podcasts and interviews with Dr. Bredesen. Yes. He's, I mean, he's everywhere if you want to learn more from him directly. Um, and Dr., um, I, have an, I, have an, I have a podcast as well, and, and um, Dr. Bacon and I did a podcast on this very topic. Yeah. And the part of that is that... Um, he is a researcher, so sometimes some podcasts are like way over people's heads because he's talking about these plaques and the ligands and the proteins and the binding. And yes. People just like, huh? And so uh, I really just wanted to help the layperson kind of understand, like, Absolutely. what's the what's the the end result here, right? Like, what are we trying to achieve? Um, the mechanism is really important to know, yes. but a lot of people will get too confused by the mechanism and then they'll just get overwhelmed especially yes. if they don't have a science background. So I think it's um, his interviews are really, I do like a lot of his interviews because he does help keep it basic for, for people. But um, if you want to get more in depth into the actual physiology and stuff, like he's great to listen to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but it just came yeah, out I, 2017. Yeah. It's pretty new stuff. And I, I saw some interviews. He has an interview with Mercola, Dr. Mercola, yeah. an interview with Daniel Amen. Yeah. Uh, he has a, an interview with Dr. Gundry, who is also well-known about the keto diet. Um, so some big names in the industry are interviewing him, and you can watch those interviews. They're usually hovering around the, uh, an hour, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. lots of information available. This was just one that I that I checked that was not an hour <laughs> because I said, i got to get a flavor for this man. But then he said some interesting things I thought we'd share with the listeners. Yeah, I am. I, um there's so much information out there now. Um, and I think what's great about his information getting out there is mm -hmm. that it just, it just becomes more and more accepted. Yes. And people start realizing that this isn't like voodoo medicine and all this kind of stuff, that these are actual 
great parameters to know and lifestyle factors to to include so that you yes. can um you know have your brain last longer and i was just telling dr bacon so i heard a statistic this morning um women that have had uh went into medical menopause have had hysterectomies or oophorectomies where they've removed the ovaries have a 40 percent higher chance of developing alzheimer's disease is that right so if you don't oh. go through natural menopause and you, lo- you lose your hormonal status very young, even if you're on bioidenticals or you're not on bioidenticals, it's a, it's a big problem. So if, if, you know, if you're out there and you're only 35 or 40, but you've had a hysterectomy or a nephorectomy and you're just not feeling cognitively all there, there may be a reason there because hormones are one of those, it's that trophic support he was talking about. It's yes. really, really important. And, um, we what, don't what take is, that into that? account What is enough. that, the trophic uh, support? Trophic is like the growth factors, right? Okay, so okay. hormones like testosterone, estradiol, progesterone, um, these yes. are all trophic factors that help our brain to build synapses um, um, to do exactly what he was talking about there. Yes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the, the quickly, the five that he mentioned, the five possible insults or that can affect it, that can cause the brain decline anything causing inflammation so he was also talking about the spirochete that causes mm-hmm. lyme disease mm-hmm. and the other <coughs> inflammation he calls it type one uh type two was uh, the neurotropic factors the hormones that you were talking about number three and and actually he's also talked about insulin resistance which is also a hormone uh the insulin so i guess that was part of it number three was where the metal binding so copper alzheimer's mercury uh, excuse me, copper, mercury, aluminum that bind together that can have an effect on the brain. Mm-hmm. And number four was the vascular type. Number five, traumatic type. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And there's a there's kind of a hybrid between the inflammation and the atrophic type that's predominantly caused by glycemic issues like diabetes. Okay, that is right. He talked about <clears throat> that, yes. Huh. Wow. So we are... Uh, how do we how do we start addressing this? Uh, the the cogno, uh, cognoscope, cognoscopy, cognoscopy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard one, a yes. mouthful. <laughs> cognoscopy. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, what does that entail? Is this something that people can do themselves, or this is something you mentioned? It is written in the book by Dr. Bradison, but at the same time, this is something a test that you both can do in the office. And work with people. How do people go about it? If people, anybody after 45 who is interested definitely in this because they recommend after 45, what are the steps you take and uh, what kind of expenses are involved for this? So, um, well, first of all, they could come and see one of us at the clinic and um, it's something that we offer pretty readily. Um, it, it We do a pretty thorough intake where we ask a lot of questions about history and Uh, current symptoms and all of that type of stuff so that's something that they would get from seeing a physician and that they wouldn't be able to necessarily do on their own and then and then we run a variety of uh, lab work or blood tests Um, there are some people that we might refer out for more for the actual imaging of the brain but that's i would say more case-by-case basis Um, if you do get the book at the end of alzheimer's there is a list of all of these uh, blood tests in that book, as well as the other testing. And also, uh, Dr. Lampers has put up on her website when you listen to the webinar that uh, was done or the um, podcast that, that we did together that she has on her website. There's also, she's put together a list that you can get off of her website. Um, 
so there so this is something that someone could partially do on their own i would recommend do it with some guidance just because it's pretty overwhelming it's a lot of blood work and knowing what to do with it could feel a little much even though he lays out a lot of really great treatment strategies so it's a really great resource um cost wise varies quite a bit because some of it depends on if you have insurance or not but we have some really great resources where we can get a lot of the testing for i would say under $300 um it, it it varies greatly. Like there's a company that we do testing through right now that I think for $90, we can do almost all the tests, if not all. So, um, but then there's, a, it, it depends again on your insurance status and things like that. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be, if you, if we suspect you have infection or chronic infection, you know, it can, can get a little, or heavy metals. I mean, sometimes it can get a little more expensive right, depending right. on what That's we need to point. test for. Mm-hmm. But also a lot of people come in and they already know they have infections or they may bring previous lab work and we can kind of look through that too and just kind of see what's most important. But if you haven't had a baseline done or, you know, a lot of people, if they go get their physical every year, they're getting a CBC, they're getting a comprehensive metabolic right. panel. Maybe they, a lot of people I know around here do run vitamin D, which is a hormone and super important, yes. yeah. um, which is another trophic factor, yep. homocysteine. Yeah. Homocysteine, mm-hmm. CRP, he was yes. talking about CRP. Yeah. So a lot of these yep. things are actually being run now by conventional docs with their physical. So sometimes people will bring those in and we'll see that. And then we just kind of add to that what we need or we get it, we get it, especially if they're showing symptoms, we we get recent labs. Um, I think, I think the important thing to know too is that, um, you know, it's important to have the baseline labs because that helps us with treatment. That also helps. I mean, if you come in, you're like, I'm 45. I want to get this done and I want to see where I'm at. I don't necessarily have a ton of symptoms, but I want a baseline and we run it and it's like, everything's looking good. Then we're like, here's your baseline and whatever you're doing, we want to keep doing that. Or maybe we we learn more about your genetics during the testing so we can help support your genetics. Yes. Um, Especially if you have family history, we want to help support you in that. Um, But it's interesting with the cognoscopy, Dr. Bredesen's numbers that he's found. So there's a a range of numbers. So like homocysteine is a great example. So a lot of labs will say that under 10 is good for homocysteine. Yes. So you'll get somebody come in and they're like, oh, my homocysteine is eight or it's nine. Yes. Or 10, it's in the normal range. Right. Well, actually, Dr. Bredesen would say you need to have a homocysteine under seven, yes. truthfully, if you want to keep that down. So sometimes um, you could have labs that conventionally they say, or your TSH is a great one. We randomly see people all the time come in with... We need, we yeah. need to cut okay. it all because we have a hard break coming up. Okay. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back with Dr. Lampos and Bacon. We are talking about Alzheimer's cognitive decline, as well as uh, what else are we talking about? Uh, the I think okay, here we go, uh, and dementia. What else are we talking about? <laughs> that's that's not a good sign that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but we are we've been discussing uh, several causes of Alzheimer's. We have also been talking here about the genetic factor, the APOE factor there's a two a three and a four and uh, the the most the highest chance of developing you, that that you have a gene both from the father from your mama from your dad and, and from your dad and if you have two fours then you have an 80 to 90 percent chance if you have a three and a four or two threes you have about a 30 percent <coughs> chance if you have a two you have about a nine percent chance of developing alzheimer's so two having that specific gene 
or those two genes combinations, that is something that can help you prevent from Alzheimer's. I also thought it was very interesting that the doctors here were talking about the combination and that if you have force, there are certain things that just won't work for you. Uh, You were both talking, I think, Dr. Lampos, you were mentioning if you have two force, you cannot drink alcohol because it really can accelerate it. Uh, and there was no effect from diet or no effect from uh, um, cholesterol is not reduced as significantly as it would be. Yeah. 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 With, if you have one or two copies of four, if you have high cholesterol or so if you have high LDL or low HDL, normally people can change their diet and that will influence those levels. Yes. Someone with an ApoE4 does not respond as readily to diet and lifestyle as someone who has an ApoE3 or an ApoE2. Okay. And so if I find someone has high LDL and or low HDL, and then they also have one or two copies of ApoE4, I know that we need to bring other support measures in to actually influence that cholesterol to change it. And, and that would be things such as? Well, people with APOE4, they have a hard time also with saturated fat because, remember, it's a lipoprotein-carrying fat, and so if you're eating a lot of saturated fat, you have a harder time, um, I don't know, processing it. And so sometimes we would recommend two more plant fats or like olive oil and, and uh of fats from nuts and seeds. Really? So, so and we can six. talk about that when we talk about the keto flex diet, yes. um, how it's a little bit, it would be a little bit differently um, positioned for an APOE4 as compared to, to not mm-hmm. having that. But that's mm-hmm. kind of what, yeah, the, the dietary changes, the dietary differences are significant enough that it's good to know your status so that we can actually make it work for you because, um, yeah, we can talk about that. All right. We have a couple callers. There's one I'm going to take right now. Caller, good morning to you. Your name, please. How can we help you? Good morning. This is Mary. Hey, Mary. Mm-hmm. Nice to hear good your morning, voice. Tobin. Hey, um, good morning. Uh, can we talk a, a minute about the uh, uh, assault that we also go in, uh, that we have uh, living in Bozeman? Because if I'm uh, hearing correctly, the heavy metals uh, plays an important factor here. Yes. And uh, in Bozeman's water has a very high content of heavy metals. I mean, with the addition of the fluoride, that even exceeds any recommended uh, standards, which that's a ridiculous term because there is no standard that's safe for fluoride. Um, the, the fluoride, two different kinds of aluminum that are added to our drinking water. Um, and then this uh, is these bind um, and uh, uh, also create... Uh, problems with our brains, obviously. And then we also have the aerosol, which there's measured amounts of um, aluminum, uh, strontium, and now even agronomists are finding uh, not only that in the soil down to about three inches, but also now the addition of cadmium in our soils. So that's coming from uh, an airborne factor that's being sprayed through geoengineering. Then we also have, uh, for those who get vaccines, they're being hit with the mercuries. Um, and then, of course, and aluminum. Have, uh, oh, and aluminum. Okay. Yeah. And um, then anybody who has mercury fillings also has that leaching out, mm-hmm. which is also brought out by drinking the Bozeman water. So um, it seems like we're really under this tremendous uh, heavy metals assault. Yes. Um, and that's not even bringing in 
um, the way um, different uh, microwave factors can affect this. Um, but I'm interested in hearing uh, how how the doctors can approach this uh, and drink Bozeman water and get vaccines. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye, Mary. Thank you. Well, one thing I want to address with the vaccines is that mercury has been taken out of pretty much all of the vaccines other than the single-dose flu shots. I think it's single-dose or maybe it's multi-dose. Do you remember? I don't. I, so, I there think are, it's single-dose. Yeah, there are flu shots that still have mercury, but they've taken it out of all the rest. So that's nice, and you can ask. If you're getting a flu shot, make sure that you're asking about that. because that. Well, you, who gives you the answer on that? The pharmacist that you would be getting the shot yeah. from. There's a so list of ingredients in every single vaccine, so you can you can see. Um, aluminum is added to a lot. Um, I think for tiny babies, aluminum body load is probably the bigger heavy metal now. Yeah. Um, but mercury has been. There was a big enough stink <laughs> that mercury was was removed from most vaccines. Yeah. So just to clarify that piece yeah. for people, I know that you can call the CDC and just get an exact answer because they have to be honest and answer you. But a lot of people just accept a vaccine without further checking things. So for those who are interested, if you if there is a nurse in a doctor's office who is administering a vaccine, will the nurse know what is in the vaccine? Will she know when she gives you the shot? Or will she not tell you? Or will she say everything is safe? Uh, how How proactive do patients need to be when they do get a shot of any kind, well, how proactive should it be, and how and who will give the answer, the nurse or should it be the doctor? I mean, I think that's a complicated question. A lot of people are getting their vaccines from their pharmacy rather than their you doctor. Think so? Well, like flu yeah. shots, flu shots. Well, sure, but even varicella. children who are vaccinated. Uh, well, children know. are getting them from their doctors Correct. for sure. Um, I mean, if the main, I would say my guess is that if you ask the nurse, they're not going to have that information readily available. Any Anytime a office receives any medication, there's something called a product insert that comes with that. Yeah. And that is going to list all ingredients. And that can also be pulled from online. There's also tons of tables that are online. If you know what brand of vaccine you're getting, which any medical office is going to know. I mean, yeah. someone can get you that information, what vaccine it is and what specific brand. You can get that information. Who's going to readily have that available for you might be a little challenging and i would try to get that information way before you're actually getting the shot because yeah. it's probably not going to be available right then um i will say that it's a pretty complicated topic to go over in a couple of minutes um no but, it's but just be, be informed proactive. be proactive be, yeah. be informed i think that's the best way now, and the thing that mary is talking about as far as the uh, the heavy metals in the bozeman water the fluoride that has that was voted in that we have fluoride in our water uh people who shower drink the water uh, go to swimming pools um the chlorine so you have these combinations of right, metals right. there's one thing if you understand what a certain mineral does but if you start combining them there could be uh, definitely toxicity. And many people just don't even think about it twice. Uh, we go to a swimming pool, we dive in, right. and uh, we are swimming in chlorine. And then where the water comes from, it has fluoride in it. So what can some of that do when you inhale it, uh, swallow it, uh, you, you swim in, it goes in through the skin? Um, these are things, in my opinion, that over time, 
could start to have an effect on your hormones, could have an effect on your on your basic immune system, on your brain. So. Well, I think this is, again, where diet gets really important because there's a lot of natural binders um, because we're all exposed to um, metals and toxicants, um, whether you're drinking it in your water, you're inhaling it in your air, you're, you know, and so eating a lot of good fiber, a lot of greens. Um, you could even take things like charcoal and uh, chlorella. Yeah. And, you know, if you're concerned about these things, you, you, you know, your body does store these things in your fatty tissue. It can store it in your bone, these kinds of things. Like lead is stored in the bone predominantly. Mercury is stored, stored more in the nervous tissue yeah. and the fat and all that. And your body does naturally just kind of... It doesn't want that stuff floating around in your blood. Mm -hmm. It's not good. You're going to feel horrible if you have all these heavy metals floating around in your blood. So your body inherently is like, okay, we got to store this and keep it out of the blood system. But it will kind of consistently start dumping it a little bit because it needs to detox. It needs to get rid of it. So if you're taking binders and you're helping support that system, maybe you're doing a, a an annual or a biannual detox where you're dumping some of that stuff and then you're binding it and you're getting it out. Like these are all strategies to do that. You know, put a shower filter on your shower. Um, Put a water filtration system in your house. Test your water. Yeah. Uh, right. We live out in Three Forks now, and arsenic is a really big problem out where we live. And so we're having our, um, and there's two different types of arsenic, right? One that's not so bad and one that's bad. And they can't really tell you. Like, we are not on the city water system, but we do know we're on our well. So we're having our water tested because my husband likes to grow food. And are we going to just, you know, we could get a an, we could get a water filtration system on our sink, but are we going to be spraying that water on our vegetables that we're going to eat? So we want to have our water tested to see what type of arsenic we have, because then that's going to determine what type of filtration system we're going to have to have. So these things do take more money. They take more research and time. Obviously, Mary's done a lot of research on the Bozeman water and she, you know, she understands what she's being exposed to. And I actually think the bigger problem besides the metals is too the chlorines, the bromines and the fluorines. Because those things um, naturally interact with hormonal function. Um, and we're seeing such high rates of Hashimoto's and thyroid, thyroid diseases now. Yes. And people are eating brominated bread. They're drinking chlorinated water and bathing in chlorination. And they're, um, you know, fluoride in the systems or mm. and stuff like that. So sometimes that's an even mm. bigger thing, too. How are, how are those things that we're actively exposing ourselves to every day which truthfully might be is probably way more than mercury, unless you have a mouthful of amalgams, um, you know. But I, I would say that again, it can get overwhelming. And I think this is the thing with us is like, if you want to just take all the bad things that we are exposed to, um, you just never leave your house. Like you, you just never go anywhere. Like you. Well, that's not going to work either. Be toxic. Yeah. Be off gassing, you, you can't function, and, and I mean, I have people that, um, you know, and it's a dilemma. So here's the thing: like, it, it, truthfully, for most people, everything comes down to money, everything. So, and I only say that because you can take the people that think they're the healthiest on the planet, and they do all the best things they can, but sometimes you just, you just can't afford mm-hmm. to remodel like your whole house and rip all your carpet out and. And like, you know, we just moved into a new house and it has gas stove and I've never cooked with a gas stove. And whoa, it's a lot different, like having gas in your house versus an electric. And I know that that's not very good for me, but like, do I have the money, like the gas, the gas gas cooking, right? 
I know I was going to say, can I trade? (laughs) You can have my electric one. (laughs) Well, they say like people with methylation defects should not be cooking with gas. You're talking about off-gassing that's going to happen from burning that in your home. Yeah. Yeah. So like I I know all this stuff, right? But am I going to walk in and I have this beautiful kitchen? Am I going to rip everything out? And can I afford that right now? Like I have to be realistic and most people have to be realistic. So I would say, I would say take the big guns, um, you know, are you eating correctly? Are you getting enough fiber? Are you getting enough of those binders? Are you getting enough of the macronutrients? Mm-hmm. Then are you sleeping? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your, if you're going to change anything in your house, you probably should change your bedroom because right. you spend eight to 10 hours in there sleeping. If something's toxic in your bedroom, you need to change that. Um, you know, are you exercising? Are you moving? Because remember, vascular flow and pumping your blood is going to pull these toxins out as well. So if you're not moving at all and you're not exercising and you're just sitting around expecting to be healthy and get rid of these toxins and you're constipated and you're, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how many supplements you take or you need to be outside breathing some air. You need to be moving your body. You need to be pumping that stuff out. So I would say like, it can be so overwhelming. And what we want to do with this is we want to say in the long term, what are the really big things that we, you could eliminate? Mm -hmm. Like, and then it's the actual smaller things every single day that make the biggest difference. And unfortunately, we just have exposures. We've, we all, and you like the vaccine topic. You may be against vaccines and you may not want to give yourself vaccines or you may think there's all these toxins in vaccines, um, which there are. I mean, they're called adjuvants. They need to have those. Your immune system needs to have a reaction. Mm-hmm. But we were all, I was vaccinated as a kid. Like, do I know if that's affecting me now? I don't. Like, but I live every single day. I try to do the basics. I try to do what I can. I try to do this. this. So am I going to blame like all my problems on the fact that I had vaccines as a kid? Like I can't do yeah, that. You had, different, you had different vaccines when yeah. you were a kid than you have right now. There's exactly. too many of them. I think it's called a body overload syndrome we're having now. We're being overloaded with toxins. We're being overloaded with plastics. We're being overloaded with things that, you know, yeah, we weren't. But back to the story of my great grandfather, my grandmother and back to the story of my grandfather, like, these things have always been around in different levels. And I just want my patients, like you can just overwhelm people to the point where they'll do nothing. Yeah, They'll just get scared or they'll, do, they'll be the people that are like, oh, that stuff doesn't work. None of that stuff works. I don't need to do anything. I'll just take my chances. Yeah. And so what I say is like the basics are so important. Filter your water. If you're concerned that your water, filter your drinking water, pay the money for that. Yeah. Pay the money for a filtration system in your house and put a shower filter on your shower. And there's great ones out there that mm-hmm. will will filter a lot of that stuff out. You might just have to pay a little bit of more money for it. But um, if that you are drinking water all day long, so maybe that's where you want to put your money into, right? Yeah, yeah, good yeah. point. Well, so. and we talk about all these fancy tests and these things that we look at, and all of these are really important and helpful. But the truth is, anybody that walks in my office, and sure, there's a lot of complicated layers on top of it, and I'm not going to go there right now, but... Anybody that walks in my office, if I can get them eating better, sleeping and pooping Mm -hmm. and getting some recreation, Mm -hmm. they will improve so, so, so much. I do tons of weight loss. I have amazing success rates. You know why? Because I tell people they have to change how they're eating. I'm not going to do, you know, these appetite suppressants. I'm not going to do these stimulants. I'm not going to put them on speed. And it's like, that sounds like too hard to do or too crazy or it's so simple if we are eating eliminating sleeping so much gets better 
Yeah. And it's the same with your cognitive health. You're going to be so much better if you are eating well, sleeping well, eliminating well, recreating, enjoying your life. I mean, it's, it's, it's complicated and it's also very basic. Mm. I'm excellent. Excellent advice. We have a caller on hold. Good morning, caller. Thank you for your patience. What's your name? How can we help you? My name is Eric. Good morning. Hey, Jarek. Good morning to you. Got a question, Yakovish. Uh, in the symptomatology of a patient with ADD versus some of the symptoms seen in cognitive decline, uh, what is the uh, corresponding differences uh, between establishing the two different diagnoses? Can that be difficult at times? So ADD versus uh, cognitive decline. In an older patient, yes. Uh, um, well, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have ADD uh, or ADHD throughout their life, and they've never been formally diagnosed. Um, and I would say that, yeah, it could be difficult, but, again, I think that's where we would take in the lifestyle factors and... Um, how the actual disorder is affecting your cognitive decline. What are what are the um, the key the key symptoms that you're seeing? Well, one, one example that kind of might clarify this is if somebody has ADD and they're just not listening very carefully to what you're discussing with them, and then later on they for, say they forgot it because they just feel like they don't have the competency that they used to have and retaining recent uh, discussions. So is that more of a situation where they're not listening, so they didn't hear it in the first place or didn't retain it? They're not focused. They're not focused. Yeah. They're not focused. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... Sorry, I think my microphone is making funny noises. I I turn him down a little bit because that cracks when you and I talk. Okay. I mean, I think that can be challenging, but for the most part, there's a lot that you can see that um, especially if you're talking with the person and you really question them about what their thought process is, I think a lot of times those types of things can be vetted through by taking a really detailed history. Um, I don't feel like I often confuse those two um, when I'm talking to the person who's having the current symptoms. And also I think there's different, you know, there's different genetic testing that we can look at that does a fo- that does um influence more of an increased propensity to ADD and ADHD that also can help us assess that out. But a lot of it, I think, is just talking to the patient and listening to them for their experience because a lot of people will know, well, I never even, I I can't focus on this or that or I I have a hard time concentrating versus I know I had my keys and I have no idea where they are. So I don't know if that is helpful, but that's what I think I've seen. Well, I've I've really been dealing more with ADHD and ADD uh, uh, with uh, since I've had that interview with Dr. Michael Platt uh, about his book about adrenaline dominance, and mm-hmm. he mentions the the difference. There is a creative ADHD, which he would call the old ADD. It's people who are very intelligent, but their mind is always hyperactive, and then you have the regular the typical adhd these are very highly intelligent people but they're hyperactive in their movement they're constantly shaking their legs or their arms or their hands i mean and they're always busy 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 staying busy they cannot sit still the creative type adhd people are not hyperactive but they are hyperactive in their mind 
And they, uh, that means that the brain is always being stimulated. And what he says in his research, it usually has to do with uh, the amount of sugars that we eat on a daily basis. So people are self-medicating as soon as the brain, the brain burns a lot of sugar. And so as soon as the, uh, the brain is always work, work, working, you burn through the sugar and the brain asks more sugar, which means there is a signal sent to the adrenals to release adrenaline to take sugar to the brain. And that is these people also have a hard time sleeping at night. They wake up at 2.30 or 3 in the morning because the brain just runs out of sugar. And so he, he for him, it is really a, a carbohydrate sugar issue. And so um, uh, I think the intelligence speaks a lot to this. If people, you feel they're intelligent, but they forget things is because the brain is working overtime. And that is, uh, that is why I would say the difference between Alzheimer's. People always, like Dr. Bacon was saying, or no, uh, Dr. Lampus was talking about constantly telling the same story, uh, repeating, not talking about anything else, but always the same story. That is obviously cognitive decline, but not, um, um, how do we say it? That is not per se that you have lost your mind. It is, well, <laughs> you've lost your mind. <laughs> but there is a difference with ADD. But I got to run, uh, Jarek. I'm really sorry. Maybe we can continue with that after the break. Yeah, thank you very much for an interesting show. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate okay. you listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Folks, uh, we're going to take another break. Stay tuned for the last half hour with these two doctors. Now, Dr. Bacon just mentioned you, Dr. Lampers, and said you have your own website where you have uh, a bunch of these uh, things on the website for people to try. What was that? What is your oh, website? Oh, yeah. So uh, my husband and I have a website and a podcast that's um, it's called Hunt Harvest Health. Hunt Harvest and Hunt Harvest Health dot com. Dot com. We yes. have a podcast, and um, I mean, it may be appropriate for Montana folks, but my husband's a backcountry archery hunter, and uh, we grow. We just moved from Washington, but we had a very large um, garden and greenhouse property, so we we just over the years become more sustainable. And then I added in naturopathic medicine um, to reach more people uh, with that, and so yeah. we started it together. So there's. Lots of different topics in all those arenas. Um, but Dr. Bacon and I, I think it's uh, podcast number 70. We just did one on this exact topic. Ah. About the same stuff, but a little bit different. And then I added on there, if you want to go to huntharvesthealth.com, you can go to the free downloads page. And there's uh, the actual cognoscopy, the tests that are included in the cognoscopy, as well as questions regarding your lifestyle that you may want to work on. Um, you just have to put your email in and get it. But... Um, yeah, it's a great reference if you don't want to run out and buy the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, before we go into the flax diet and the keto flax diet, which is really important that we hint on that, we have a caller on hold. Good morning, caller. Thank you for joining the program today. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Uh, good morning. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Uh, you know me from working out up at APRS and <laughs> coming in your store a few times. Don, it's great to hear your voice again. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I got in late. I was not working, and I got in, so I'm probably asking questions that have been answered or asked. But my wife had Alzheimer's. I remember. Um, we went through about 10 years yes. with the disease. It's, uh, it's a terrible disease. She was a very smart woman, owned her own business, and I better quit talking about to cry. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I... I uh, you know, I, I wonder about 
uh, I'm getting old, and I wonder about how much of old timers is is what it is, or is it something else? You know, I used to be able to do five things at once, and now if I'm not concentrating on one thing, I forget why I uh, was doing something else. So right, uh, I well, thought maybe I ought to go in and and turn and uh, get examined. I don't know. I think that's a great idea just yeah, because the there's all types of reasons for decline in cognition. It doesn't have to be Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is specific to when you actually build the um, amyloid plaques, but you can have vascular changes like many strokes that can lead to cognitive decline. You can have chronic uh, traumatic brain injuries that can lead to chemical changes that cause cognitive, cognitive decline. There's cognitive decline that happens with aging that's separate from all of this. So just getting some basic testing done to see why that's happening can be really helpful and can give a lot. I mean, there's such great tools, at least within the naturopathic world, that can really support and reverse a lot of that. Yeah, there, I don't think there's any age where you should just be like, oh, I'm old, I don't need to know these things. I I, I believe that, um, you know, you, you want to feel good as long as you're alive, so having your baseline. And, and then if there are things off, you know, we can help you with that. And, and um, it may be just some simple tweaks in your lifestyle or, um, you know, it sounds to me too like you live through 10 years with a lot of stress and stress hormones and all that. Uh, you know, our brain is so greatly affected by excess stress hormones. We, we know that people that are under a large amount of stress, cortisol, um, you actually have cognitive decline. Uh, so it's important. Well, because your focus goes to the stress. You spend all this time on stress, so it's hard, very hard to recuperate from that. If you're constantly on Mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, that high stress level, constantly on the go, constantly type A personality. Some people say, oh, I'm a type A personality. Well, does do I say whoop-de-doo or do I say, you know, I'm so sorry for you because (laughs) that is not healthy. Well, and if you think about if you're in a stress response, like – something is attacking you or something scary happens, our focus becomes very hyper-focused because that's how we're going to save ourselves. And that's what happens in the sympathetic nervous system. The problem with the modern day and age is that we're constantly in that sympathetic mode, which is not healthy healthy for our brains. It's not healthy for our bodies. And figuring out how to shift out of that is really critical in, in long-term health. Well, as that was going on towards the last part of it, I was fighting prostate cancer. And that's having- right. I remember and having radiation treatments, yeah, uh, which uh, ended in some additional radiation treatments because the cancer had, some of it had moved to my backbone, and so they had to do something there. But, but uh, I'm all over that. I hope. But uh, so I, I was doing dealing with that, and I don't know. I don't know if that's. I I got in late, so I'm not sure what you were talking about. But I'm having to shoot myself with um, with testosterone once a week. They put me on a uh, drug called Lupron, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because that's that's one of the protocols for for dealing with uh, prostate cancer. Yeah. And I I uh, I had uh, night sweats and everything else that a girl does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome yeah. to the club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I hope you were not touching yourself inappropriately. <laughs> well, uh, I didn't have to shave. 
sometime. I'll tell you that. <laughs> which, which is pretty spooky. But uh, so, that's good. you know, I don't know whether that has anything to do, and I'm not sure that I'm I'm overreacting to what, but I've I never used to to not know exactly what I was doing or why I went downstairs. You know? Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes. I think another thing to think about, too, is medications that people are on. Um, Statins, like tons of people are on statins, and statins can lower cholesterol, which actually low cholesterol can be a predisposition to Alzheimer's. The reason reason for that is... And there's lots of other medications, and also with cancer treatments and all these things, they affect the brain. Yeah, my my understanding is that that, uh, uh, cholesterol produces hormones and the very first hormone it makes is pregnenolone mm-hmm. which Correct. converts yeah. into progesterone and DHEA mm-hmm. and so if you lose pregnenolone which is the mother hormone you lose that one uh, then there is a direct correlation between people who are on statin drugs and who develop Alzheimer's or dementia because they have low pregnenolone levels so um, I, I agree with mm-hmm. you on that. Now, these are the Very trophic important. factors we talked about yeah. earlier. And, yep. and, and the other thing, Don, as far as the prostate cancer is concerned, if testosterone were to produce prostate cancer, every 25-year-old man in this country would be full of it. And well, obviously yeah. it is, and, and yeah. it is not the case. Uh, usually yeah. what happens is when the estrogen goes up. So for, for them to give you testosterone without checking your estrogen, especially the estradiol, is uh, very dangerous. Uh, that that could cause all kinds of issues. So I would do at some point a blood test to check both your total testosterone and your total estradiol just to find out what the ratio is and to see what the risk for uh, prostate cancer, prostate problem is. Now, you have had the radiation, and it may be under control, but I still think that the uh, the balancing of hormones is very important. And the Nupron, is it Lupron or Nupron? Nupron with an N, right? Lupron. With an L. Lupron. Uh, lowers all your hormones, which uh, which we need hormones in order to feel alive. So it just has to, we have to make sure that the balance of the hormones is there. And 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 I know that you have worked a lot with cars, old cars, yeah, and gasoline and stuff. Those contain estrogenic compounds, and so there is a possibility and that the reason metals. and heavy metals. So there is a possibility that your estrogenic compounds started to trigger the uh, the the estrogen release uh, which uh, ended up causing you probably to have prostate cancer it's hard to tell well i wrote down a phone number that you just gave yeah 219 uh 3631 3631 that's right yeah and i think i'll call i have a quite a few blood tests i don't know anything about i don't remember yeah. seeing estradiol at all but Bring them in if you come. Bring yeah. all your labs that you have from the last couple years. You know, maybe not from the last ten, but maybe from the last one or two. Yeah. Okay. And I'll... then we can see. Yeah. And then I... start from there, and then yeah. maybe do some blood tests that can tell if there is a genetic component here that you may uh, you may want to be aware of. Well, that was the thing with my wife. There was nobody in her family ever had it. Um, uh, we went to uh, several different places. The doctor. Uh, here did the analysis and he called it dementia with aphasia to start with. And and dementia we went dementia with the what? Aphasia it affected her speech. Oh. Okay. And and um, he tried to get us into males, but we got an answer back from them that they were so busy that they were concentrating on younger people. Mm. 
but we got to the University of Colorado Medical Center, which is immense down there, nice. and to and to one in uh, Salt Lake City. Yeah, and they all agreed with what he what he had said, and she was on some medication. I can't remember the name of it now that uh, helped it not move so fast. Aricept. Yeah, Aricept. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She was lifelong asthmatic and took asthmatic drugs, but other than that, we led a pretty decent life. Yes. <laughs> she she wasn't involved in anything that you know that that yeah. I know of that would have worked on it. But anyway, yes. that's what she died of. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll call call you up. Your your okay. uh, company name is Elevate Health. Okay, Elevate Health, Doctor Bacon, and Doctor Lampus. Yeah, I've had about enough of doctors, but I'll keep going. <laughs> we try to look and act like we're not doctors <laughs> yeah, to no, help put you I at just, ease. <laughs> I was just saying, I'm, I'm pretty well known up there at the hospital. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, they have a red carpet out when you walk in. Yeah, yes. they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All the best, Don. It's really okay. great to hear your voice. Well, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, Bye. Time. With me in the studio, Dr. Hilary Lampus, Dr. Bronwyn Bacon, Elevate Health, 219-3631. The discussion today is cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, and specifically, uh, we have covered a lot, but one thing we haven't covered, we have a little bit of time for, (laughs) is what Dr. Bredesen is talking about, the keto flex diet. Yeah, I think this is probably the most important for people that number one, have a genetic propensity, are showing any type of subjective cognitive decline or cognitive impairment, or you just want to um, improve these baseline, the baseline we're talking about and um, prevent this. This is the, the diet, obviously, with anything is the best place to start. Um, we don't want to just give people supplements. And just go ahead and go eat your regular diet. Like that's, there's, there's no good in that. Um, mm-hmm. The great thing about the Keto Flex is probably everybody's heard about keto diets at this point. It's very kind of the trend word um, in the last year or two. Um, but what I like about this diet is that it's pretty, um, I would say that it's, it's not that hard to follow. The hardest part is actually knowing whether or not you're in ketosis. Um, and that would mean that you're burning fatty acids. Um, instead of glucose for energy. And you can find that out by getting a ketone monitor if you really want to know. Sometimes people can just tell by the way they feel, but um, that might be one good way to know if you're burning ketones. Um, But it's really simple. So the KetoFlex is called the KetoFlex 12-3. And all that means is that you're going to eat a predominantly keto-friendly diet that flexes between... um, having large amounts of vegetables, et cetera, and then moderate animal proteins, um, and then elimination of some foods that are more allergenic by nature that kind of mess with the gut, like dairy and gluten, um, uh, alcohol, sugar. Um, the alcohol, there's some flexibility. Again, there's flex in there. Um, and then you're going to fast for at least 12 hours, and then you're not going to eat for at least three hours before bedtime. So if you go to bed at 11, you need to be done eating by 8 o'clock. And then you need to fast from that 8 o'clock time for at least 12 to 16 hours. So that would be till 8 o'clock the next morning or, I don't know, um, noon. You're not going to actually eat any food. um, And that will give you that fasting time. 
um, that will help put you um, into ketosis as well as helps what's called autophagy, which helps your body to eliminate cells that are problematic, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the more you fast, the, the better that is. Um, and that's also going to help. Um, amazingly enough, it does help with insulin. Um, there used to be a trend, I think, in the past, right, where you eat every two to three hours and keep your blood sugars consistent. And obviously, um, you could do that in the time that you're eating if you want, but you want to have at least that 12-hour window where you're fasting so your cells can and your mitochondria can kind of clean the, clean up. And one thing I wanted to add is when you're trying to decide if you're going to fast for 12 to 16, you're trying to decide where in that. The more copies of ApoE that you have, the longer you should fast. Mm-hmm. So if you oh. have two copies, go for the 16 hours. If you have one copy, you know, go for 14 to 16. Yeah. If you don't have any copies, then the 12. Wow. So one way to get into ketosis is you've um, probably heard of, like, obviously coconut oil and, and taking medium-chain triglycerides. And they found with people that, so you're going to have a higher fat, moderate protein, low-carbohydrate diet. Um, dependent on your body type. You have a moderate fat, so not a high fat, moderate it's protein. High fat, moderate protein. High fat, moderate low protein. carbohydrate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with really a focus on good vegetables that are non-starchy, so um, no white potatoes. Like people think eating like carrots all day is like great, but that's a lot of sugar and yeah. can be a lot of starch. So you want to think about more green vegetables, um, some root vegetables that aren't super starchy, but um, a cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cabbages and those kinds of things. Um, but if you have a thyroid problem, you want to be careful that you don't eat them raw. Here's the deal with thyroid problems. Like you don't want to be eating tons of it. Mm-hmm. You can still eat a little bit. You would but, have to eat so much for it to become goitrogenic. I yeah. Mean, we're okay. talking like juicing kale all day long, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be gross And anyway. remember kale is in there too. So people don't remember kale is actually a cruciferous vegetable. So if you're having four green smoothies a day full of kale, yeah, that's probably a little bit too much. Um, Make uh, it kidney stones too. So. Exactly. <laughs> so I think... Um, I think that the keto, and then if you go back to that high fat, you want to, um, they use MCT oil or coconut oil. Um, if you have a one or two of the fours, again, you have a harder time with saturated fat. So in the beginning, when you're trying to get in ketosis, mm-hmm. it, I think it's okay to use a lot of coconut oil and MCT oil. But once you get into ketosis and you're burning that you may want to transfer over to more olive oils and nut seed oils and those kinds of things because apoe4s don't do great with um getting rid of a lot of saturated fat which mm. is the thing she talked about earlier right high ldls low hdls um which can be hard to get down with just diet in in general so you don't want to be eating a bunch of coconut oil because coconut oil is saturated fat <laughs> But you can do it to start and to kind of help your body get into ketosis or you just do the MCT, which is just the medium chain triglyceride and not the full-on saturated fat. We do have testing at our office that can look towards um, if you're doing too much saturated fats. Like we can actually test those levels. Wow. As well as your omegas and make sure you're doing enough omegas and we can break that down to omegas from fish oil and omegas from uh, plant-based oils. And honestly... um, I don't see, I would say there's less than 10% of patients that I see that have a healthy balance with that. Almost everybody is omega-3 deficient and they have elevated saturated fatty acid markers. 
Yeah, I would agree. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. It's like, it's just predominant. Even that people think they eat really healthy. Because the other thing to think about is um, it it is good to have, I mean, if you eat meat, you can do meat. But meat should be more as a condiment. It shouldn't be like the main course at every single meal, especially if you have a four or two fours. And with the keto diet, if you're eating a bunch of meat, protein converts to carbohydrate. So you're basically getting carbohydrates. So this is where it can get tricky. And this is why it's helpful maybe to get like coaching or come in and see us is that this kind of diet takes some support. You, you need someone to walk you through it and help you. And I mean, it takes me, I, I, I'm kind of thin and I burn stuff really, really fast. And I find that I need a little more carbohydrate. So I don't do as great with this less than 20 grams of carbohydrate a day. I just feel way too spacey. So I up my carbohydrate a little bit and then I make sure that I'm just um, during that time that I'm eating between the fasting time that I'm getting enough good source of fat and protein, but I need a little more carbohydrate. Some people do really good with just a little bit of carbohydrate and, and keeping that fat up. Um, so that's, it's very like, and your genetics too play into this. Some people are more carb adapted and some people are more fat adapted. So again, you may do ketos, you may do ketos the keto diet and be like, it didn't work for me. And yeah. and you may have some genetics that just don't, you just don't adapt to that well. So maybe we need to talk more about that. So this isn't the end all and be all, but it, especially if you have an APO4, you should really consider utilizing this diet. So the APO4, then all of a sudden the whole concept of uh, high omega-3, uh, low omega-6 doesn't really count because omega-3s, fish oil, increased fish oil, uh, is very anti-inflammatory, and my worry about the omega six is the inflammatory. If you talk about increasing your plant and nut seeds oils, well, we're talking moderate oil. here. Let's remember, like we're not just eating those things. We're getting. Um, you can do some MCT oil. You can do some olive oil, um, avocado and oil, avocado, avocados, walnuts. yeah. So you don't want to be doing meat and straight coconut oil and these high saturated fats. Obviously, no trans fats. Um, and, but it's kind of in this moderation, right? Like you're the hardest thing with keto, the keto diet is getting, (laughs) is eating enough calories where you can get, you're getting that fat in. Like a lot of people in the beginning, they're like, I can't eat this much fat, you know? Um, and balancing that carbohydrate when you decrease carbohydrates and a lot of people get what's called the keto flu. They don't feel very good. Um, but these can all be signs that you're changing and converting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I would say I like the word flex in there because there's like the flexibility. Yes. Based on how you feel like me, I need a little more carbohydrate. My, my brain's just going to function a little bit better. But like I'm, I can't do alcohol. I, for me, that's not something I feel good on. And I've learned that over the years before I was like, oh, I just don't feel good. But now it's like I understand more about me. And so I might eat a little more carbohydrate and just nix the alcohol. Whereas some people can have a glass of red wine with their meal at night mm-hmm. and they do better on the little higher fat Mediterranean style diet and they're okay, right? Yeah. Um, but this is where um, working with a practitioner helps because you're going to go through like the diet is the hardest part. Taking a supplement is easy. Getting your diet keyed in. And lifestyle. Especially Exercising. sleep and exercise. Yeah. So the uh, APOE, uh, uh, APO uh, testing can also be done in your office? Yes. Oh, yeah. We have that. Okay. Easy. I don't think that is one of the basics. You have to know. Number numero uno. Yeah. I run it in everybody that will let me. Yep. 
I mean, I don't care how old they are. Even if you don't have cognitive decline, you have cardiovascular disease or anything like that, you need to know. Jeez, yeah. Louise. yeah. Well, great show. Great information, both of you. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank this you. is really fun, as always. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. Always some good laughs. <laughs> we do. We, uh, we, have, we had a couple today. All right, folks. Uh, stay tuned for Tom coming next. Tom and Shane, uh, we are done. We'll be back next week, Saturday, talking with Russ Willis. We hope you stay for that. Uh, for now, have a wonderful weekend, and thanks for listening. Fake it till you make it. A step-by-step guide to better health on Gesundheit with Jacobus.